Welcome into the Warehouse, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The Warehouse is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome into the bank. After a couple weeks' absence, we are back. I'm joined, as always, by my colleagues Mike Randall and Jamie Seek. Get to them in just one second. First, a word from our sponsor, Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One, their third-generation family business, established in 1959 and located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster. They're the oldest floor covering store in Carroll County and one of Maryland's longest running flooring businesses. For all your flooring needs, think Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. So guys, we didn't talk last week uh, when the uh, NFL schedule was formally uh, put out. Uh, 17 games this year for the Ravens. Uh, We'll get into that and our thoughts there. Uh, Mike did have an article recapping uh, uh, the Ravens announced schedule and his knee-jerk reactions. So, Mike, I'll let you start uh, without letting you go, you know, week by week, just kind of overview, just uh, the opponents were known, the uh, the dates were not, just uh, general thoughts on the schedule. Yeah, pretty much I think it, it's definitely a harder schedule later in the season, it looks like, at least on paper. The Ravens don't even get into division play uh, until week seven with the Bengals and it's not until uh, week 12 and week uh, 13 and 14, you have Browns, Steelers, Browns, uh, Steelers again in week 18, which is going to take me forever to get used to saying 18. Um, Definitely a easier schedule in the front part. Even when you consider they open with the Raiders on the road, that's not going to be the easiest of games. And then the chiefs at home, obviously the toughest game on the schedule. You got the Lions, you got the Broncos, the Colts, the Chargers, uh, your bye week, and then week eight after the Bengals. So Ravens really have to, in my opinion, take advantage early. And so much can happen. I mean, there's still teams that are adding to their rosters. Injuries are going to happen, things like that. There's so much that can that can happen between now and when week one even starts. But on, on paper, what it looks like, the Ravens need to take advantage early uh, before things uh, really ramp up and, and get pretty tough down the stretch in the second half of the season. Jamie, Um, uh, probably one of the flukiest schedules I can remember in recent years. I feel like we've had a pretty good run over the last couple of years of, you know, alternating home and road games for the most part, but you have, uh, you know, the stretch of three out of four on the road early. Then you have the run of, you know, four straight home games. Of course, the bye week is sandwiched in there. Um, We have three out of four at home to close, you know, not really seeing any division opponents till late in the year, as Mike said. Um, yeah, it's just uh, um, it's it's different, and having that week seven, having that extra game, just a different dynamic. Because you know, you always think of ten wins is where you want to get. Is ten win is eleven wins now the new benchmark, or is it still going to be ten wins? And how does that extra game play into things? It's a non-conference game. You know, it's definitely a. Uh, um, uh, a weird looking schedule when you just see the way the games are laid out. I, you know, and I'm personally not a huge fan of primetime games. Um, I know the overall fan base likes to talk about them as a, 
instrument of respect or you know whatever but i just feel like weird stuff happens in primetime games first of all i'm getting old i have a hard time staying up that late sometimes but i would just rather us football is meant to be played sunday at one o'clock but that's just my uh get off my lawn statement but <laughs> we'll see how it all plays out <laughs> no I, I, Jay, yeah jamie i'm i'm completely with you probably for uh, both reasons there one <laughs> also getting old yes and Second, uh, I, I think when the team is just uh, locked in on that Sunday at one, I think it's just uh, uh, easier uh, than kind of an up and down schedule with uh, prime and uh, uh, otherwise. But you know, teams adjust and they're professionals, mm -hmm. and uh, they'll do better than I will. But uh, getting back to the schedule itself overall, just you know, a couple of thoughts myself. I mean. Uh, obviously, you know, we'll be fixated on the division itself and figure you're, you're obviously hoping that you sweep Cincinnati and, uh, uh, you know, at least split with, uh, you know, Pittsburgh and Cleveland and then you'd be in, in pretty good shape. And then the, the matchups within the AFC are, are pretty interesting. Uh, you know, you got the Raiders, obviously the star Kansas city week two, that'll get a lot of hype, obviously, at Denver, we'll see if Denver winds up maybe obtaining uh, Rodgers, which uh, would be interesting. But uh, beyond them, the Colts, the Chargers, Miami, um, I mean, these are all uh, teams that figure to be within uh, the playoff race within the conference. And you're talking about jockeying for position overall, so that'll be interesting to, uh, to, uh, to see. And obviously, you know, to Mike's first point, which I think is – really true we can all fixate on the schedule now but you know plenty will change during the season there's just so many injuries that always occur and whatever you're thinking about teams here in may you know will feel differently in october and november but um overall i, I thought it was a it's a fairly challenging schedule i i, I thought you know even if you, you feel good about the ravens i wasn't particularly thrilled about cleveland pittsburgh cleveland uh, <laughs> in that stretch, and um, you know, so I'm with you guys. It's uh really about starting early, Mike. You made kind of a, you know, a comment on the board, half in jest but half serious. What was going to happen if uh, responding? You know, some somebody mentioned what happens if the Ravens start zero and two? The world's going to be feel like it's over, <laughs> uh, typically. And you said what? <laughs> You mean if they start one and one, uh, yeah. because the Ravens fans, we like to go into panic mode when they lose a game, even if it's two, not even arguably the best team in the AFC, the Chiefs, um, or even if they start two and oh, but Lamar Jackson doesn't appease the fans and throw for 10 touchdowns and no interceptions with a completion rate of like 90% to show that he can throw the ball. But that's something I'll get into, I think, later on in the show when we talk about, uh, you know. The, some of the coverage of the Ravens uh, this offseason, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was yeah, I thought it was really just a a great succinct point, and um, you know, there's no no such thing as style points, right? It's about about W's and, exactly. and winning. That's all that matters. And uh, yeah, hopefully they can put some early wins on the board. Obviously, we know the record historically. If a team were to start zero and two, and what that would mean. Uh, chances of making the playoffs, but now you have a 17th game, so that is going to change a little bit. 
obviously let's hope that they don't uh, have uh, have that beginning of a uh, that would uh, <laughs> the alarm bells. Right, and Chris, just wait. As soon yeah. as we get used to seventeen uh, games, uh, they're going to go to eighteen games in two bye weeks. So <laughs> because you know that's what this is prepping for. It's only a matter <laughs> of time. Uh, you're probably you're probably right, Jamie. I, I kind of thought when they would ever got to the seventeenth game, I thought maybe they would institute just a you know a standard double bye and have everybody off on a certain week, but no, let's just roll this out as is, which, uh, you know, I don't think any of us were particularly overly yeah. excited, even, even for the additional game, which we're all going to watch, but just, you know, uh, yeah. I, I was even this week just trying to think about the 18th game and how it would work in the schedule being that it is an even number. And I really couldn't even figure it out because with unless you just add more teams to the league, which is something I don't think they're going to do. I don't think they can do it. Because if you take, you know, your your thirty two teams, if you even the way the divisions are laid out, try to make them play each other nine times. Now you're playing your division games half of the season, and but then you can't for the other nine games. You can't come up with an even number of games split evenly the way you had it with sixteen games. With 17 games, I mean, you add the NFC game, which is you know the out-of-conference game, which is the least important games on your schedule. So they basically just added the, another least important game. It's yeah, and even with 18, you just can't without adding more teams. You can't you can't ever get to a place where the schedule is as perfect as it was with 16 games in the current division structure. Last thought on the schedule. Uh, just give me a quick take on the NFC North. Obviously, we're going to wait and see what happens with uh, Rodgers and Green Bay. But, uh, you know, give me thoughts on the other uh, three teams from the division. Jamie, um, I mean, it, you know, obviously, you know, the, the Bears made the playoffs last year. But, you know, is anybody really scared of the Bears? Um, obviously, they added, you know, uh, Justin Fields in the draft. You know, but they're going to be going through some growing pains with him at quarterback, unless you know, as as most rookies do. Um, so uh, you know, you, you like that matchup, and um, the Vikings can you know, they can they can throw the ball all over the place. You know, and another team that was kind of in the conversation, but not you know, not anybody that's going to scare you. And then um, with the uh, with the Lions, obviously the big trade of you know swapping quarterbacks with the Rams. Um, I, I'm not a Jared Goff fan at all. I've said that several times. I think that is going to be a, uh, other than it being a Brashad Perryman game, um, that's going to be a, uh, you know, I think uh, they should do well against the NFC North. I think the that's probably, considering how tough the, the schedule is everywhere else, on paper right now, that looks like, you know, some pretty good matchups and a decent opportunity, a good opportunity to go three and one through those games, if not four and oh, because you get, you do get the Packers at home, correct? We've got, we've got the Packers, at home, right? Yeah. So maybe yes. you, get, you get a good shot to go four and oh there. So all in all, I, I, I like matching up with that division this year. Yeah, uh, you're going to have to put some, some wins on the board against that division. Um, and Green Bay in December. Again, we're going to see what happens with Rodgers. I mean, some of the trade packages being brandied about, uh, you know, as possible. I think Albert Breer of the NFL Network basically said Denver would be trading basically half their roster plus, you know, the draft picks for the next decade, you know, going over. And I'm only being – it's only half hyperbole here. But, you know, it was uh, – Green Bay might still have enough to be – 
fairly formidable, and they did invest in a first-round pick last year, quarterback. So maybe it's not a, a complete train wreck of a, a team for trade Rodgers, but certainly I would enjoy facing anybody but Aaron Rodgers in uh, in December there, needing needing a W. All right, we'll see. We're getting closer. That was fun just to get the uh, see the schedule and you know think about uh, dates and. I saw people on the board talking about uh, you know road trips they'd like to take. I was kind of hoping uh, Vegas was going to be later in the year. Week one, the first game for Raider fans to actually go and see their stadium. I would imagine uh, uh, tickets are going to be prohibitive. Probably not the road trip to take, but yeah, who knows? <laughs> uh, somebody will. Somebody will have a good time. I'll be watching. I'm sure in my home. Uh, I think it's as low as seven hundred and twenty dollars. I think somebody said. Oh, is that it? Cool. That's Sweet. it. It's just seven hundred and twenty bucks. That's it. So, uh, Jamie, our colleague, uh, Rivers McCown, he had an article out yesterday at the site. Uh, he was uh, talking about defending the entire field, uh, and you know, obviously, he was building off of the uh, uh, comments the Ravens have directly made themselves since uh, since the draft. Just your thought on uh, on uh, on Rivers' comments there directly and just overall, uh, you know, what you're seeing well, and feeling I mean, coming I mean, out of the draft. We've talked about it, you know, uh, since the season and, you know, even towards the end of the season and at you know into the offseason here about how the we, – we attack the middle of the field quite a bit had a difficult time getting to the boundaries, uh, had some stuff schematically with route combinations that didn't really work. We, you know, we highlighted some of that stuff as we, when we broke down the bills game at the end of the year. Um, but I think you start, you started to see some changes last year when you saw a little bit more of JK Dobbins on the field to, you know, have somebody that's a little bit more, uh, have another playmaker there. And now obviously you add Bateman, you add Sammy Watkins, who almost has kind of become an afterthought now with the drafting of Bateman and the drafting of uh, Tylen Wallace. It, it, you almost kind of forget that, hey, we brought in a you know a, a veteran wide receiver who, when he's on the field, is you know pretty good. So you you throw all that stuff into the mix, and you still have a, a, a Pro Bowl caliber tight end in Mark Andrews. And you have two great running backs and a quarterback that can not only make a good amount of throws but can also take the ball to the house. The elements are there to do those things that Roman talked about to make teams defend the entire field. Now, how is all of that going to get implemented, particularly when you have an offensive line that's going to have probably four out of five new starters and your one returning starter is coming back from a pretty bad ankle injury? So that's really going to be the key to all this. The skill position additions, I think, are fantastic. And the comments that you're hearing from Roman, I mean, you know, maybe a little bit of coach speak, off-season speak, what, you know, whatever you want to call it. But you like to hear him talk about how we hope to evolve and build. But the concern really is, is how does that offensive line gel? Because if you can't if you can't protect and if you don't have your, you know, just your timing right on our intricate blocking schemes on running, you know all the play design and play calling in the world isn't going to matter if you can't do the basics. Yeah, I'm with you there as well, Jamie. I, you know, could be a lot of single coverage uh, for guys, and you know, they should be able to make plays in that in space, but you have to be able to block for them. Uh, and what you have, if you really count Stanley back, I mean, uh, you could 
look at is having four new starters ac across the board. So might take some time. Uh, Mike, I imagine you have some similar thoughts, but just any general takes off of Rivers' article there. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with a lot of Jamie's thoughts there. I think we talked about it before. I think Bateman is kind of the perfect fit for what the Ravens needed. Somebody they, they can line up one-on-one, -on -one, they can run all the routes, uh, they, can, they can win on the outside. But I think also our strength, you know, even though our strength is – for Lamar Jackson throwing on the inside rather than the outside. And, and I'm more a fan of those anyway. And Bateman's going to run a lot of those crossers starting on the outside and then coming back in once the defender commits to uh, covering him vertical. He's going to break that route off, come back to the middle of the field and get some yards after catch. And a lot of those outside throws, you're just inviting a 12th defender in the sideline into the play and negating many negating yards after the catch in most cases. So it's one of those things Joe Flacco was great at throwing that five yard out route to Derek Mason, but it was five yards and the whistle blows. You're on to the next play. Cause he's not turning and running it upfield. You catch it and you're out of bounds right there. So, um, I, I mean, not to, not saying negative about Flacco. I mean, you know, I loved the guy when he was here and he did other things too and won a Super Bowl for us. But that's not the style of offense or passing game that I'm a big fan of. I'm a fan of letting these skill position guys with speed get the ball in open space and run for more yards uh, after they catch it rather than inviting the sidelines in. So that's just my so, general take on it. I thought one of the interesting points that, uh, Rivers pointed out was uh, the play action game for the Ravens uh, and how uh, in 19 they were among the leaders and in 20 they were not. And he pointed out, obviously, let's look at the line uh, differences year to year and what they were getting, what the Ravens were getting on the ground on first and second down. So in third down and in, in normal play action uh, uh, downs, you know, they, they uh, they were facing fur further yardage and not setting up their play action game. So uh, that, if you can set up the play action, I think that'd be interesting. And I'll take you guys back to, uh, you remember uh, the start of the 19 season, they faced the Dolphins, you know, and I was pretty hapless Dolphins team to begin 19. But you remember Hollywood's first uh, touchdown, uh, you know, and, you know, he runs the, the crosser, and it's like, you know, it's just a quick angle. And then he took the top off because he, he, he outran the guys. I, I just want to see more of that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, not, hey, Hollywood, you don't have to run 40 yards down the field. Can you beat beat somebody 15? Let's get the ball to 15 yards. And then. And, <laughs> and, I, and I, think I think that's where bringing in. I'm sorry. I think that's where bringing in. um uh, the the new position coaches and T Martin and um, uh, Keith Williams uh, wide receivers coach because you want to have like say like for a guy like Hollywood who you know you don't often talk about his route running whereas when you saw some of the stuff and again I know it's just camp or you know whatever uh, these rookie you know walkthroughs whatever it was but seeing some of the stuff that Rashad Bateman does just watching him just put his foot in the ground and turn no wasted motion at all to be able to maybe that's something that they can work on with Hollywood. Like if they bring him on a route like that, where you're going to say, okay, we think he's going to go deep because that's what he does. But then he puts his foot in the ground and turns it up and then boom, you hit him, And then he's, he's catching the ball in space. And especially if, you know, teams are creeping up to the line of scrimmage because we're running the football. That's where there's opportunities happen where you can catch that ball because the defense on their heels. And then you split, you split the safeties and you're gone. And we got the guys to do that. 
So uh, if we're going to talk about uh, – we've spent time talking about what the Ravens have. Let's talk about their opposition. We talked about a little bit, uh, uh, you know, as we looked at the schedule, you know, what we're going to want to see the Ravens do within the division. And obviously right now the Browns are getting a lot of hype, and some of it certainly is deserved. I think we spoke about maybe in the last podcast or the one prior we talked about, yeah, we kind of want to see the Browns actually, you know, do it on the field, take another step before we're crowning them. But you look at their roster up and down, there's a lot of talent. And I think we, we recognize that. And if the same talent was wearing a Pittsburgh Steelers uh, uniform, we probably would be maybe giving them more credit than uh, that we directly have uh, because they're in a Browns uniform and th their history says uh, they're going to brown it up at, at, uh, <laughs> at some point. But look, we can look at their 22. There's plenty of talent both both sides. Uh, I'm just kind of curious your thoughts right now as you guys look at the Browns. And, Jamie, I'll start with you. Just uh, what do you like? What do you question? And how do you I mean, feel I think the biggest up? thing that they did was, you know, the Browns really struggled in the secondary with uh, allowing big plays. I think it was – I just saw something on ESPN where they allowed the most – uh, uh, passes that had 10 air yards or more. Um, so they responded by basically re revamping their secondary. They, you know, they, they, they draft Greg Newsom the second, uh, and with their first pick, they, they went out and got, uh, Johnson and, uh, Hill from the Rams. And then they've got, um, the safety that they drafted last year from, uh, LSU, uh, Grant Delpit coming back after, you know, he tore his Achilles. I guess it was in, in camp last year and workout. So he didn't, didn't play. So for them to attack that part of their roster and make it stronger, you know, obviously when you're looking at the teams that you're competing with and the Browns are fancying themselves in the class with Buffalo and, and uh, the, uh, the Chiefs and the Ravens because that's you know where they were. They were 11-win ball club last year. So you're saying, what do we have to do to get better? And that's defend the pass better and then also get to the quarterback better. So they, they – Bring in Jadavian Clowney, and I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher the name, but their uh, other uh, early pick, Awasu uh, Koromoa, the the outside linebacker. So you're they look like they attack; they're just attacking their weak parts. So you know, at this point, on paper, it's really hard to look at that roster and say, you know, that's where you go attack them, or that's where they're really weak. I would say the only thing that they maybe have a problem with is some big personalities and big personalities, particularly on the offensive side of the ball can cause problems if things aren't going well. And we've seen that with countless teams before, you know, and obviously they have a diva wide receiver of in uh, Beckham. And I wouldn't necessarily say that Jarvis Landry is a diva, but he's outspoken, let's say. And obviously Mayfield is a bit of a personality himself star of uh you know all insurance commercials and whatnot you know yeah jimmy yeah, i i i think to your point i don't think it's a surprise that mayfield played better once uh beckham mm -hmm. was on the shelf and that that's that's not to knock beckham's ability and you know i'm not even going to say he's some horrible team guy but he's a guy that he comes back to the huddle every time and he's saying me <laughs> me uh, and uh, or at least Mayfield felt uh, the pressure of like you know looking his way every play and certainly understanding his talent. But 
once he was gone, then Mayfield was willing to look across the field and got more guys involved, and all of a sudden he looked looked better as a quarterback. Mike, uh, your your thoughts on Cleveland? You know, same question. What do you like? What do you question? How did the Ravens match up? Yeah, I mean, you put some of the words right out of my mouth with uh, the Beckham with the Beckham talk. Uh, we saw that firsthand in Week One last week. The Ravens crushed the Browns while. Mayfield was trying to force Odell Beckham the ball, I think to the tune of nine targets, and he caught one or one or two, something like that, for less than ten yards or something. And and uh, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that in his mind he's wide open on every single play and should get every single ball. So no surprise that he they played better when he was shelved with the injury. Uh, they're a tough team. They they got graded, uh, I think, by most out outlets an A-plus on their draft, which take that with a grain of salt. That basically just means that they they filled the positions of need with good player, with what people think are good players in the draft. So um, they got an A-plus for their draft. So they, you know, and so far as Jamie said on paper, they look like they've gotten better. Hard to find holes, uh, holes there. I Anyone that's followed us on the message board knows I'm – not a fan of Jadavian Clowney that I think he's the, maybe the single most overrated player in football. Uh, so I'm kind of glad the Browns got him. The Ravens don't face him until week 12. So he'll probably have been on IR for about six <laughs> weeks by then. Probably not a factor for the Ravens. So collectively, you know, he'll have as many sacks as the three of us combined <laughs> by then too. So, um, <laughs> but I'm yeah, that's for a big year, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's 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 my takeaway. I think the Ravens match up with them pretty evenly. That was that was what we saw last year in the Monday Night Football Classic. That was the the game of the year, just back and forth, lead change after lead change. I, I think those kind of games that are going to be decided by single digits are what the Ravens played against the Steelers for so long. Uh, those type of games may now be the Ravens and Browns uh, games that we see. Whereas uh, this is the second year in a row the Ravens haven't had a primetime game scheduled against Pittsburgh, which tells you what the league thinks of that rivalry versus what the league thinks of the Ravens-Browns matchup. So I think the Ravens match up pretty evenly with them. Plenty of time to talk about Cleveland further. And, you know, as you said, we're going to have to wait until uh, week 12 to see them. So let's see where both teams are. Uh, at that point, but I'm sure we'll be following the Browns week to week and uh, talking about the play during the year. So let's go back, uh, double back to the Ravens more directly and uh, talk about the five players you think need to step up the most. Uh, you know, uh, in uh, see, we're going a little bit long, so if you want to keep this short, you can just name a couple, but you know, as you know, who are the guys you're directly looking at? And, uh, Mike, I'll let you start here. Who, who are the guys you think the Ravens need to have step up this year? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep it short. I, the two off the top of my head are Ben Cleveland and Bradley Bozeman, uh, mainly because the Ravens' success on offense for years has been dependent on the offensive line, regardless of who the quarterback is. It seems like the, the magic uh, touch here is with Stanley and Villanueva bookending the line and Zeitler entrenched at right guard and looking like a great fit. It is for Cleveland to play left guard as a rookie, allowing Bozeman to move to center, and that seems to be what would make the line the best it could possibly be. So basically up to those two guys to, one, Cleveland make the roster as a starting left guard, and two, for Bozeman to entrench himself as the center and properly snap a football 
um, every time he does. So uh, the other guys I have, I listed J.K. Dobbins and Patrick Queen, two of the rookies from last year. You know, there's no Mark Ingram in front of Dobbins, so he's the feature back. So he just by default has to step his game up. He's going to get more touches this year. It's not a four-man backfield. I, I have high high expectations of Dobbins this year, and Patrick Queen. It's his first off-season prepping for the. And Mike got cut off there. So just uh, recapping the last player you think needs to step up. Uh, yeah, the last player I picked was Owe. Uh, just as a rookie, the pass rush is just a shallow position. Uh, we want the pass rush to be a factor, especially in what we saw with beating Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl is to beat him with a four-man rush so that your your receivers are well covered and he's got nowhere to go. Uh, you know, with McPhee, he's kind of in front of him. He's getting older. Bowser's going to play some coverage. Away is a guy who's not going to play any coverage, is a guy who's out there to go get the quarterback. Really like to see him solidify his spot um, as early as uh, the start of the season, which is a lot to ask. But, um, you know, not it's not going to make or break the Ravens if he can. But he's a guy I'd really like to see uh, step up and just grab hold of that spot. Good list. No quibbles on my end. Jamie, uh, who are the players uh, for yourself there? Um, I'm keep it sweet. I'm just going to hit two, two guys on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, first one's Tavon Young. Um, we know it's never been a question of talent with him, really. It's just a question of health, and some of the stuff is not really in his control. But given the amount of, uh, you know, Money that's been invested in the secondary, and then the additional picks just the, this past off, this past draft in the secondary. Um, it's make or break time for Tavon Young, and if not, I he's going to be uh, cap casualty most certainly after this year if he can't either stay healthy or make an impact. Um, the other one for me is Jalen Ferguson, maybe a little bit under the radar. I mean, he draft pick from a couple years ago. Been hoping, been hoping, but nothing's really come about. But with um, with drafting Odafe Owe, with uh, some hopes maybe for Bowser to have an increased role, and as Mike alluded to, you know McPhee's not you know not a spring chicken anymore. We're still going to need contributions at defensive end or you know rush end, whatever. And Ferguson is a guy that's been here enough. If he's going to make an impact, I think it's going to have to be this year. Yeah, I agree. A few guys, uh, Bozeman, Cleveland, and uh, Ferguson, I could have easily had on my list. For me, I had uh, uh, Dobbins and Young for the really the reasons you guys particularly mentioned, Queen as well. Uh, Young, I'll say, you know, you know, I'm less worried about whether he becomes a, an eventual cap casualty or anything and agree that when he's on the field, he's effective. And having that uh, dime back and, and – uh, excuse me, kind of more of a nickel back and – Playing there directly in the slot, uh, uh, I think he can make a difference if he can stay on the field. Plus, Jimmy's going to be, you know, yet another year older. Uh, I'd love to have another corner we really feel particularly good about. Uh, you know, uh, you guys hit on Queen Dobbins, uh, and I, I agree with takes there. I think we we both all believe that Dobbins is going to have a monster year, but uh, you know, with the Ravens need him to <laughs> as well. Um, the only, and I'll mention, um, you know, Jamie, you're alluding to Bowser there. Uh, we're all excited. We all talked about wanting to have him back in free agency. He is, they're going to need him to provide some extra pass rush. And, uh, uh, he's going to have some additional snaps this year, I would imagine. So some opportunity there. And the other guy I I'll have, uh, uh is Villanueva. So, uh, Mike, I, I agree with having, uh, 
again, Cleveland and uh, Bozeman there. And obviously the Ravens have to clean up what they were doing at center, which was a mess. Villanueva is the veteran, but he's moving from uh, left to right. Uh, it's a new system for him. Yeah, we feel he's going to be better uh, with a rush-based attack versus who was laid out in Pittsburgh last year with them just throwing the ball all over the field all the time, but making that adjustment from left to right. And the Ravens need him to have something left in the tank because uh, they do have options available for them at guard and center uh, with their depth, but I feel less good about their uh, – uh, tackle depth. So he doesn't have to be Orlando Brown, but he does need to be productive. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, lastly, and we'll wrap up with this. Um, just curious what you think people are getting wrong in coverage you see about the Ravens. Uh, yeah, it doesn't really matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what we say. Just curious, you know, what you're seeing out there, particularly in national coverage that you think people are getting wrong. Uh, and, um, Mike, I'll let you go ahead and start with this. Mainly my, my only gripe is the Lamar Jackson is still can't still isn't an able passer for lack of better terms, or he's got, or as the, the one Baltimore sun article recently that had said he, the clear flaws or whatever it said, the, the clear, um, weaknesses that, uh, the clear weaknesses that Lamar Jackson has as a passer. Like, I mean, okay. If you're saying clear weaknesses, that's a pretty broad statement when his weaknesses may be like, he's just not as good as throwing outside the numbers at, you know, or having chemistry with his guys throwing outside the numbers. And maybe some of that changes, but that's not a clear weakness. I mean, we, how soon we forget the guy was the MVP in 2019 that he led the league in passing touchdowns. And it's not like he just lost that. That, that part always gets forgotten. Talking about him, and um, you know, they he led the league in touchdowns, and it's it's crazy. And last year he had two or three runs of fifty yards or 47, 48, 50 yards straight up the middle for touchdowns. And is it is he a better quarterback if he threw those for touchdowns instead of ran those for touchdowns? I mean. It, you know, he's getting the job done and that's really all you can ask for. And, you know, some people just want to see a pocket passer or want to see him, you know, throw the ball more just for the sake of doing it. And, and they don't have to do anything like that. I think he's going to get the job done. Uh, there's only one MVP award to go around. Um, you know, some Drew Brees never won one. Just think about that for a second. Drew Brees never won an MVP award and holds just about all the passing records there are in the most prolific passing offense of the last decade plus. So, you know, go figure. But, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson's got an MVP. He can clearly play quarterback in this league. If he's got one glaring weakness and it's that he struggles a little bit on outside throws, he still made it work for an MVP season. Jamie, uh, anything to add there? Anything you're seeing that's uh, you think the media's getting wrong? <laughs> yeah, I think just the uh, the talk about the offense in general. I think the this the perception about you know obviously we were last in the league in passing yards. We were also last in the league in passing attempts. I mean, so that, that that's a big part of this. And like Mike, to your point, like what it does it matter that that Lamar had a couple big runs versus a couple big passes? He still produced that. And 
it's like people when I was just watching an ESPN segment not that long ago about uh, the offense, they said it was easy to defend. If the offense was easy to defend, then how come uh, the Ravens led the league in rushing and they've scored 999 points the last two seasons combined? So they're obviously not that easy to defend. There are things that they can do better. And I I like what Dan Orlovsky said. We need there needs to be human beings capable of doing certain things. When you talk about outside the numbers, have we had a receiver that can really make plays outside the numbers that are like a contested catch outside the numbers the last two or three years? No. Now we probably do in Rashad Bateman and probably Sammy Watkins as well. So I think there's a perception and then there's a reality and it kind of lies somewhere in the middle. They need to evolve, but I think it doesn't need to be completely revamped. And I think that is being overblown a little bit when it comes to the passing game. So I like the mentality of being more the um, the hunter versus the hunted. So I don't mind if the Ravens are, you know, perceived a little bit weaker. I mean, they're all still pretty high in all of the power rankings that are out. But like I saw Keyshawn Johnson today talking about um, <laughs> the Ravens could really surprise people. And I'm like, you know, really surprise who? <laughs> 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 they're <laughs> they're loaded across the board for as much as a team can be in this salary cap era. I mean, you know, they're not the '92 Cowboys or like '94 San Francisco, which you know were absolutely monstrous. But for this era, they're pretty loaded. I mean, uh, 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 there's there's a lot of talent on this roster, and it does start with Jackson. People have some perception because of the uh, the playoff exits that uh, you know he can't get it done. But if the Ravens uh, achieve what they're capable of this year, he's going to be the main reason why. <laughs> and you know, each week uh, as we look at the schedule, the schedule's out. We started the show with it. I start feeling pretty good because Lamar Jackson's on <laughs> on the Ravens side, and I, I start with that. So. Good thoughts from you guys. Always good to hear from you. Uh, come and join us in the Ravens talk at the board, BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Catch up on uh, the latest articles from these guys. Uh, my thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. Take care.